Living Local, telling the stories that connect us. A United Way of Greater Milwaukee and Waukesha County podcast. Brookfield East High School is a big, beautiful building situated between trees, fields, and neighborhoods in Brookfield, a western suburb of Milwaukee. In fact, as I drive up to the school on my way to take notes at a Conversations Count event, I'm reminded of my own high school. And when I hear the feedback from this event, which brought students of color and their parents together to discuss the challenges and opportunities of being a minority student at Brookfield East, I was brought back even more. The town I grew up in, and consequently my high school, was majority white and majority upper middle class. The school had a lot going for it, Great academics, athletics, and arts, well-maintained facilities, and there never seemed to be any shortage of resources for us as students. What it lacked, though, was diversity and, probably, an adequate support system and outlet for students of color trying to succeed in an environment tailored to the white experience. While Brookfield East does remind me of my high school in many ways, in terms of wokeness, it goes far beyond. Three years ago, a group of teachers got together to form the equity team. This is our third year, technically. That's Kelly Tutkowski, founding member of the equity team and English teacher at Brookfield East. And so we just really got good momentum going this year, and I think that momentum is due in part to the community partnerships because they had so many awesome ideas to bring in and Mm -hmm. leadership and expertise. And so that's when we really um, kind of took off. Shortly after the formation of the equity team, Two sophomore students, Riley and Nalani, who both identify as mixed race, brought their friends together to begin Safe Club. Safe Club stands for Social Advocates for Equality, and sophomore year, Nalani and I actually started it. There's a lot of social stigma with our club, especially in a school that has very little diversity like Brookfield East. The feeling of difference, of being an other, was strong for Riley and Nalani as their school experience went on. We were beginning to see like racial issues and like differences. That's Nalani. And I think for me it started when I noticed that the popular kids at our school were like all white. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I began to realize that there were like differences in how they treated me versus how they treated my white friends. This guy that I had been interested in dating um, at one point and he told me that he wasn't into black girls. And like he basically said that like he wouldn't date me because I was black. And so like I guess I feel like people are able to relate to that more than other situations just because most people have dated someone and like know what that feels like when somebody doesn't like you back. And so like when they don't like you back for something that you inherently are, it's like it hurts even more. It was over <laughs> it was over like a text message. So, and I didn't like, like not reply and just ignore him. What I did was I like, I kind of went off on him because, (laughs) yeah, just a little bit. (laughs) Because at the time I didn't really know how to like handle a situation like that. I mean, I don't think like anyone really does. I talked to him about it and I was like, you know, like that's really racist. After a while, he actually like understood why it was like wrong. And it's really funny to me because afterwards he ended up almost dating one of my black friends. Uh, So that was really interesting. (laughs) It took a huge toll on my self-esteem, but I just like talked to my friends and like it's something that I'm still like battling with. But um, I guess just like having a group of friends who understands 
who will listen to you talk about it and like share your struggles is like really powerful. Nalani was born in Milwaukee, but moved to Brookfield at a young age with her family. Riley had a different experience. So I do live in Milwaukee. Um, I live in a pretty nice neighborhood near Sherman Park. The people who live near me are very nice. It's not the image that I think that a lot of Brookfield people would have. I do get bussed out to Brookfield because of a program called 220. And so this 220 program has MPS pay for um, Milwaukee students, mainly of color, to be bussed out to Brookfield to attend school here. There are supposed to be Brookfield kids who go to MPS to end a little bit of segregation and get the schools and communities together, kind of commingled, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where that word came from. <laughs> but um, I did technically go to K4. I spent a half day at Manitoba. I think it put a lot of perspective about like Brookfield schools because the worries that I had there about like being bullied weren't nearly like weren't nearly the same as the worries I had in like K5 when I came to Tonawanda. So I would come like from a bullying like kind of thing to the microaggressions that Ms. Tarkowski talked about. And like I'm mixed black and white. And so there's like things that culturally as a like mixed person that I didn't pick up yet. Like my mom didn't really know how to do like my quote unquote black hair. It was different at the white schools, I'm just gonna call it that, the white schools because they, everyone would like be so fascinated with my hair that it didn't feel necessarily that I was always a person mm. as much as like an object. Mm. You don't realize it, you kind of internalize it as like an issue that you have and it seems like kind of your own fault. And then I didn't actually even know that anything that was going on up until that point was wrong until 10th grade. I wrote a blog post for like, I guess it's kind of an international blog. And um, she asked me to write a post about what it was like being a mixed child growing up in a white community and how like being mixed impacted my culture. And I thought I knew it all, but once I started typing, I was like, wow, that was weird. Like, that's not how everyone is treated. And I actually didn't start wearing my hair down and natural until that year. For Riley and Alani, Safe Club provided an outlet and a departure from these feelings and experiences. I felt like there was like a larger community than just me. Like I felt a little less isolated because it is easy to feel like a wash in the sea and you're just like trying to stay afloat every day. Mm -hmm. And I think that was really important for me because I did find my community more so, like it was more firm than what I had had before. Despite their best intentions, the equity team had a hard time making a lot of movement in their first year. I would point to first just a lack of knowledge about what to do or how to do it. There's a lot of trust in this building. It's a great place to work. I do think we do a pretty good job giving a good education to all or at least most students. Um, but then we don't know exactly the correct way to go about um, navigating some of the more sensitive topics relating to equity. That's like the training part is a, a big obstacle. There's also kind of a fear of doing it the wrong way or like saying the wrong thing or just, I mean, nobody wants to be called a racist. And so if 
you're like even talking about this topic, sometimes it feels very scary because you're afraid you're going to talk about it the wrong way, you're going to do the wrong thing. And so I think that by far is like the number one obstacle we have faced in this work. And I think that takes a lot of different forms. Like some people are comfortable being uncomfortable. Some people are really resistant to that discomfort. I think our job as the equity team is to first educate ourselves, like really improve ourselves, and then hopefully we can kind of ripple effect outward and make sure that everybody feels comfortable um, dealing with topics of diversity and inclusion and really stepping up in meaningful ways. And then I think that will show our students that we are there for them all the time. And so we're learning with the students, and I think that's the messaging that we want to continue to tell them. Like, we don't have all the answers. We're learning with you, and, and that's extremely important so that they realize it's a journey for all of us. That's Tony Gray, Community Program Coordinator at the Medical College of Wisconsin and mom to Nalani. Tony got involved with the equity team after having a conversation with Brookfield East Principal Andy Farley about an incident that happened last fall. My daughter Nalani had talked about an incident um, at the school that really really bothered me. Um, she had mentioned other things before, but it, it was actually not something she had experienced. It was some cyberbullying involving another student. It was, it was racially driven. Someone was told, you should go back to Mexico. I realized that racism exists. We, we are not going to eradicate it. I have to be realistic with that. But this time I felt that the attack was really very sad to me. So I thought, I'm, an, I'm imagining that the school is doing something about this, but I really want to understand what that is. And so I spoke with him for about an hour about the concerns that I had, not only as a parent, but just as a person. And he was very um, intuitive and very open to the idea of us brainstorming on what we could do. Looking for better educational opportunities for her family, Tony moved to the Elmbrook School District when Nalani was little. I did not consider any other challenges that she would face. I did not consider the fact that she, and, and she's, she's biracial, so she's white and black. I did not consider any of that. Um, and up until high school, I did not hear of any issue she had being a biracial person or just considered black. She's looked at as being black until high school. There are things that you trade off, it seems. Um, you trade off maybe getting better opportunities and better education, but you trade off uh, the idea of that it's not diverse and that the idea that people don't understand you because they just don't. It is a cultural ignorance, right? So if I'm not around certain people and I just don't know who they are and that's just, that's my box that I live in, it's not that it's always deliberate. It's just what it is, right? A part of me looks back and say, did I make the right choice? I still think I did. I see, I see the growth that she's accomplished for herself. I'm extremely proud of her, but some of the, her experiences have affected her. And I hope that that translates to being more sympathetic um, to other people and what they go through. Out of that phone call with Brookfield East's principal came the idea for Conversations Count, a series of events where parents and students could come together to talk about race. 
The first Conversations Count event invited Brookfield East students of color and their parents back to the school to have dinner and to discuss their experiences with the school. Parents and students were split up into different rooms and conversations were facilitated by the equity team with United Way and Brookfield East staff acting as note takers. We knew that to start with, we had to start with minority students with their experiences so that we could even figure out which way to drive the rest of our progress. I like to think of it as a hospital <clears throat> and you have kids in a hospital, some of them are in the emergency room and those were our minority students. So you attend to those first and then the other kids will get the care and the love that they need, but we have to, we really felt the need to understand what, what their perspective is so that we can create platforms to allow different discussions based upon that feedback. You can't know someone's experience unless if you ask for it. We don't know exactly what it's like to be a minority in this school if we never ask. We really wanted to give them a safe space where they would feel comfortable sharing out so that we could get informed in what to do next. Like on the parent side, um, they did say that they have a lot of trust in the school. They think it's a really high quality education that is offered. They did mention that they do think it's important for students to be exposed to current events and like multicultural education um, so that they are prepared to like go on to the college level, go on to the career level where they are leaders in a multicultural world. The students, again, they do trust the staff and they were really pleased to see a lot of the staff members there. It's very obvious that staff cares. But then the other things that were challenges for them if something insensitive is said in class, the teacher doesn't necessarily know how to respond to it. And we have a lot of pressure on us as teachers to take a neutral ground, but I think that in terms of intolerance, that's not a topic that we should be neutral on. And so that's a time to step up and kind of correct that behavior, just like you would correct any other um, like unfavorable behavior kind of like something that doesn't belong in school for sure or just kind of help the student grow to see that that behavior is not acceptable and so the students mentioned like wishing their teachers were more equipped to speak up when they see injustices or insensitive language and then also another big takeaway was like their social experience um, they felt pretty comfortable with academics they did mention that they could have a more um, diverse curriculum more multicultural curriculum and I agree with that um, but then also socially there's a lot of challenges where it's things like they feel like their dating options are limited because of their race or they feel like they have to deal with a lot of racial jokes that their white peers don't have to deal with. Um, and there's a lot of pressure to kind of just brush it off and act like it doesn't matter, um, but it does and it hurts. And then also they talked about um, like cyberbullying is huge and I have... I've been sickened by some of the things that have been brought to me from students that were posted about them online in terms of race. There's just a lot that they deal with that goes on behind the scenes that I don't think adults can fully be aware of because we're not there, but um, it's, it really shocks you when it's brought into the light. For the second Conversations Count event held last month, the group opened it up to anyone who wanted to attend. The event was marketed as an opportunity to learn about being successful in a diverse world. And for the equity team and safe club, this was an opportunity to talk about a subject that weighed heavy on their minds. Well, a microaggression 
in the context of how I see it is these subtle little attacks. And oftentimes we've heard like little bee stings that people just experience every day or frequently enough to where it becomes aggressive. It becomes an aggression. As an African-American woman, what could that look like? So for instance, is that your hair? You know, that could be a microaggression for me, especially if you hear that all the time. Or if an African-American woman changes her hair, then people don't know who you are because they base you on your hair and you're, you're like, but I'm a person. I don't, you don't see my face, you just see my hair. Or for others, it's, are you from this country? Things like that that can become, make you feel like you're not a part of something or make you feel like you're different when you're just trying to be who you are. And so as students, as young ones going through high school, I can definitely imagine that that's happening on a frequent basis. And microaggressions typically aren't meant to hurt, but they often do, especially if they're done repetitively to someone and um, it creates a sensitivity and you start to doubt who you are. Is something wrong with me? Why, you know, why are people asking me these questions? One example that we used was if a group of students is sitting at a table, like in a science class or something, and they turn to the Asian kid and they say, oh, you should, you should do the math because Asians are good at math. Something that doesn't necessarily seem to be meant to be offensive, but it still hurts because you're making that person feel like an other um, and you're making an assumption about them that is limiting their ability to just be themselves. And so um, that's like one example we rely on frequently. Also, like with African-American women, like asking like, oh, let me touch your hair, because again, you're making them feel like the other. And even if you're not meaning to offend, you're still kind of putting them in an uncomfortable position because that's maybe not something they're okay with. Again, I think the hair is definitely one that I've experienced quite a bit. I remember I changed my hairstyle and I would say hi to people and they literally didn't know who I was. And I just, I've seen other women who are not African-American change their hair and cut it and it, it can look totally different. And I still know who you are, like I see your face. So whether people consider that a microaggression or not, it just places more importance on someone's look instead of who they are. So to me, it's, it's saying, you're not really paying attention to me. You're paying attention to how I look. I think the thing about microaggressions is that we, unfortunately for many of us, we accept them. And so it becomes our reality and we don't even think about it anymore. I understand that not everyone is going to adopt the notion that microaggressions even exist. So you have to be realistic in, in how people translate that for themselves. Because you do have people say you're just too sensitive or, you know, that doesn't make any sense. How, why would that hurt your feelings? It wouldn't hurt mine. So you have those. Most of the time, microaggressions aren't meant to hurt. 
unfortunately, when someone hears it quite often, they end up hurting. We also get a lot of times um, people might say, like, well, is it really that important? Or I didn't mean it like that. But I think that the reality is we teach our kids to, even if they hurt or if they didn't mean to hurt somebody on the playground, for example, but they do, you still have to say sorry. And so that goes for our language as well. Our language shows our values, and we want to make sure that our values are matching our actions and our words. We had no no uh, mention of microaggressions on our marketing because we didn't want people to come in with a closed mind, potentially. Because when you hear that word, it, you oftentimes we become, we're on a defense, right? We don't want to believe that we're being aggressive to anyone, right? So we wanted people to come in with an open mind of, we all are on this journey of improving how we treat each other. And how can we all be successful in this changing world and expand our mind and get connected to each other? This second event brought 22 people, eight parents and 14 students together to talk about these issues. This small but mighty group walked away deeply affected by what they heard. One of the things that really stood out to me was that they wanted to talk more. They have a lot on their hearts and minds, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy that these conversations are starting and that people are finding them important. The very next morning, I walked into work, and I turned on my computer, and the first email I had was from a student who had attended, and she said, um, this was such an eye-opening, awesome event, and I want to join Safe Club. And she was just like all in right away. And that was just such a cool thing to come into. So I was like, wow, that's really powerful. Riley and Nalani graduated from Brookfield East High School on Sunday, June 11th. Both Kelly and Tony were on hand to support and congratulate the girls as they begin the next phase of their journey. For Nalani, that means continuing her education at the University of North Texas, studying psychology. She hopes that this will help her to better understand the psychological causes and effects of racism and continue the momentum she began with Safe Club. Riley will attend San Diego State University to study business administration management with the hope that she can be a positive force for diversity and inclusion in the business world. Here's Riley. It's so like such a huge part of my life, so I don't realize that it's not a part of everyone's life. Mm -hmm. So one of my like biggest issues with the generation before us is that they have like a huge belief in being colorblind. It's important to realize the differences between us because we're going to have different experiences based on our skin tone and that is a fact. Like there's not, there's no other way to be in our society yet, but like if we acknowledge the differences and we say, say that they're happening based on our skin tones, then we can like move forward and heal and create solutions but not acknowledging the differences is saying that we all have the same experiences, we're all going to have the same opportunities, but that's not true. And I think that like when people say that they're colorblind, I mean like generally they have a, like good intentions, but it's like it's great that you don't see people differently based on their skin color. Like everyone should be like that, but when you say you're colorblind, you're invalidating like the experiences of people of color and saying that there is no difference between every race when there really is because of like how our system is set up so even though her daughter is graduating 
Tony plans to continue her work with the Brookfield East Equity Team, which plans to implement more Conversations Count events, in addition to providing teachers with unconscious bias training over the summer to address the issue of the achievement gap. Yeah. The research behind it is really compelling because I think a lot of people think that um, the achievement gap between white students and students of color is caused by things that are outside of the school's control, but the research actually shows that it is within the school's control to close the achievement gaps, and there are other districts around the nation that have done it, and so we want to kind of follow in their footsteps and figure out what that would look like for us, and like I said before, just be a regional leader on that topic in closing the achievement gap. When we talk about diversity too, we have to have diversity in every aspect of the edu of the educational experience. So diverse books, people of color, the curriculum has to has to change and and talk about history that is that has been kept from books and really formulate a truth about our world and how that has impacted us. So there's a lot of sustainable, important efforts that will help students to see that we, we do value diversity. We're recruiting diverse teachers from different backgrounds, different cultures, different races. We're involving, we're revamping our educational experience to include books that celebrate culture, books by other uh, authors of people of color and and backgrounds and we're celebrating diversity by by bringing it into our school and including it so there's great work to be done and it's not going to happen overnight but it needs to be something that is a continuous mission for Brookfield East and uh, the Elmbrook area. I don't think this is something that goes away. It's not like, oh, yep, we're done. We fixed everything that could ever be fixed. I think it's ongoing work. And I think that we have a lot of people who are committed for the long run. Living Local is produced by myself, Katie Kuhn, Melissa Hannon, John Waldbauer, and Brian McCaig. A special thank you to Ethan and Maeve McCaig for providing the music and voice talent for this introduction.